Hello. What's cracking? What's popping? What's shaking? What's rolling? I don't know. I don't even. I don't even care. I mean, I kind of do. Although it's rhetorical, how can you answer me? Anyway, this is the Wolf's Court. Welcome. I'm your host, D.S. Wolf, and this is the Stone Ocean episode three review called The Visitor. And I am very happy to say I've got my special guest slash co-host, Fast Toad, back on the show. Fast Toad, what is cracker lacking, G? What's up? What's up? Um, I had to go and listen to um, Roundabout by Yes just before we started this, just to get in the mood. What a, what a beautiful way to start a show. If, if, it, if I didn't risk, uh, risk legality and love my own theme music, which I created, I'd probably use that song. Or at least end with it. End with it makes sense, doesn't end it? End with it, yes. My to gosh. Continue. Yes, bloody hell. Okay, well, we know what's going to happen now. Uh, so, anyway, uh, we are, we're catching up. We're jumping back in. Uh, Stone Free. When unraveled, now this this is I just typed this verbatim because I found it quite interesting. We, we basically start the episode with Jolene uh, kind of internally thinking about her stand, Stone Free. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say what I wrote. Stone Free. When unraveled, this thread can reach far. However, it becomes less powerful and inflicts less damage when it bundles and hardens. It's reached its. Uh, its reach is reduced to about two meters. Uh, we see the soul thread bunch and form into Stone Free's fist slash arm at this point, I should add, if that wasn't clear already. Probably wasn't. Uh, we hear Jolene's thoughts uh, some more and just her kind of theorizing what her stand can do, as you probably would do if you just discovered, fuck, I can create this soul specter from, sting, from string that just fights for me. Uh, and she theorizes how could she use the stand to escape and kind of comes to the soft uh, prognosis that she needs to learn more. Uh, at this point, uh, someone fairly rude on the phone uh, with blonde hair accosts Jolene, asking for her, asking her for some change uh, so that she can keep speaking on her phone. She says, just one dollar. And I'm thinking, yeah, one dollar, what's the harm in that? I mean, I wouldn't have given her a dollar. But anyway, that's me. Uh, and she said she'll pay Jolene back later today uh just once she goes back into her cell i mean sounds legit right what could go wrong uh because she just wants to keep talking to her family right who doesn't want to do that so jolene being the, the wonderful uh upstanding member of prison society is she gives her the change uh and yeah at this point a nasty brute hits jolene out of the way when jolene is about to walk to an empty unused phone Jolene points out the thing, hey, what the fuck, man? I've been waiting here for 30 minutes. Uh, then Jolene uh, learns by this very rude thug that phones need to be booked in advance. And apparently call time is bought with cash. Hmm, cash. Didn't we hear in the preceding episode that cash wouldn't play a part? Interesting and bloody harsh. Uh, so your thoughts on that, FT? So... Um, I'm just going to bring us back to uh, our review in episode two. Um, when Jolene went to the prison uh, cafeteria lady and, and uh, the food ran out, the cafeteria lady looked at her and said, um, you know, I guess that's what's strange about prison. 
Um, and this brute in this in episode three, when she pushes Jolene out of the way, and Jolene says, you know, what the fuck? Uh, what's going on here? Um, the brute looks at her and says, that's what's strange about prison. And we hear the same thing again in the same exact format. Um, and I'm not sure if this is going to play like a recurring theme where uh, it keeps getting sort of um, like uh, uh, Easter egg in a f- every few episodes uh, or if it means something a bit more. I mean, that's that's fascinating. I, I didn't even pick up on that because from my perspective, I just assumed it's what someone would say in a prison as in, you know, this is... Uh, a crazy harsh reality and it's just what happens but i'm totally loving your observation i'm open to it and there might well be some uh substance to that which we will uh discuss in subsequent episodes so you might well be onto something either way i'm enjoying the uh constant mentions of it and at this point uh jolene says to herself she just wants to hear her mum call her voice Q fucking Gwes in that shrill voice calling Jolene. <laughs> what excellent comic timing there. Jolene naturally tells her to get the hell away from her. Uh, Gwes, oddly enough, in a kind of uh, diamond is unbreakable, uh, you beat me up last episode, now I'm your friend kind of way, offers some advice to Jolene. And she says Jolene must get her cash back from the lady uh, she called Blondie, so that's what I might call her. I wonder if, again, that's reference to the band Blondie. Probably has known what Iraqi's like. Uh, she yeah. says she must get her change back from her. And not getting cash back is an instant sign of weakness in prison. Lending, borrowing money at the aquarium, which she called it, uh, should be avoided at all costs. It's a snowball effect. Uh, and at this point, we see a bullied inmate used as a visual example as getting picked on by some other bullies. Uh, at this point, we see uh, Guest points the, the blonde cellmate going to her cell, surely to get Jolene's change, right? Surely. Any thoughts on that moment? Yeah, I am. Um, first thing I thought was, um, um, you know how someone just kills your vibe, right? <laughs> yes. um, and you just go like, bro, just shut the fuck up. Get away from me. Um, and I felt like that was what Jolene did. Yeah, she just kind of felt like, oh, no, not not Gwes, not now. Please. Not now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've known a few Gwes's in my life with that kind of vibe. Yeah. For sure. Well for described. Sure. Anything else? Um, yeah, I just kind of felt like um, Gwes has fully taken on the role of uh, being Jolene's bitch, <laughs> you know, and just went, went up to her and be like, hey, you, you shouldn't be doing this, you know, take it from me. Um, yeah, and it's, yeah, it's fascinating. It kind of shows that the uh, influence a Jojo has over people to just kind of instill this, uh, not just dominance, but also loyalty. Because mm-hmm. Gwes didn't have to do that. It's one yeah. thing being scared of Jolene, but she actively went out of her way to help her. So Jolene's definitely earned her respect. So, so that is an interesting uh, observation there. Uh, yeah, 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 and it's again something quite similar to what happened to a lot of villains in Diamond is Unbreakable, where they did literally just become kind of allies or comic relief to different degrees. 
Uh, and then we go to the next part where we see the blonde is now sitting on the couch. Uh, Jolene asks her for her change back, understandably. Uh, the blonde fobs her off, saying she'll pay back later. I've heard that one before, right? Uh, she then loses her shit on Jolene and asks, or should I say just orders, her for $10 more. Uh, you see in the background these horrible, shady inmates who have been watching the whole scenario, scoping to see if Jolene's weak. They start laughing, uh, at which point Jolene's quite angry uh, that she, I should probably mention earlier on, she, she, she tried to test the limits of stone-free strength. And she realized stone-free isn't strong enough to bend prison bars, but is strong enough to, to bend and manipulate a coin, which she did with uh, one of the pieces of chain she had. She then subsequently turned this into dust and put it in Blondie's hot drink, which almost instantly gives Blondie the shits, serious shits, which is fucking great. Something good. Uh, and Jolene is in the toilet at this point, uh, reading, not using the toilet, just reading, just relaxing, knowing exactly what she did by design. Don't mess with Jolene, seriously. Uh, and the Blondie is begging to be let into the toilet vociferously. Jolene's saying, no, nah, nah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm fine. You know, you take your time. I'm, I'm just chilling here. So uh, Jolene says, you know, give me some money for it, basically. And Blondie is desperate not to shit herself. So it gets to the point where she says, I'll give you $10. At which point Jolene opens the toilet door, uh, leaves the toilet door so Blondie can seemingly go in there and shit her guts out. And then Jolene very confidently parades the $10 around whilst uh, showing her asserted dominance. Uh, she then approaches that noob prisoner we saw being bullied previously and tells her that she's lined the other bullies' drinks and they will be shitting themselves soon as well. And she should get in the toilet and do the same thing to assert her own dominance or else she will be weak her entire time. The choice is hers. Uh, your thoughts on that? Um, yeah. Uh, one thing I noticed actually was, um, you know, Jolene being, um, you know, just a, a little bit more of an asshole than, than, um, than she, you know, as in the, the good type of asshole, you know what I mean? Um, oh yeah. Was, um, when Blondie was, you know, essentially on her knees right outside the bathroom door saying, please just, you know, let me, let me get in there. Um, as soon as Blondie says, okay, you know what, I'll give you $10. Jolene opens the door so hard that it knocks Blondie's face and you can see a stream of blood coming out. So I That's think awesome. it kind of hit Blondie on the nose. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I had to watch it twice actually to see what happened. Um, but I think like it kind of hit Blondie on the face and she had like a, a sort of a stream of blood coming out of her nose or whatever. Um, and I thought, damn, that's savage, right? <laughs> Insult to injury. No, I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's really good. And that's well-deserved because I hated Blondie's attitude. I really did. Mm. Uh, we then go on to see Jolene request that she gets left out, uh, let out of the room by holding onto the bars and saying her name. At this point, we then see a, a, a bouncing baseball on the floor, uh, and it's followed by a little blonde boy. 
who could be Koichi's cousin, really, in a baseball outfit. What? A baseball outfit? Uh, he's kind of ominous, but in a kind of scary, but not scary way. I guess ominous is the right word I just used. Uh, he tells her that soon she will have a visitor and she must not meet with him in the visitation room. Uh, if she does, Jolene and the others will be in grave danger. And his quote was, a fate more terrible than death will happen. Whoa, what the hell? Uh, the ball bounces, the boy vanishes, and a rude guard attacks Jolene for holding the bars. I hate this guy. Uh, your thoughts on this scene, FT? Um, in a weird kind of way, this kid scared the shit out of me, man. He was spooky, no. wasn't he? Very. I'm, I'm thinking, what's a kid in a baseball outfit, no, let alone anything? Um, a child doing in prison, you know, and, and and essentially in the dark, in the dark sort of corridors of prison. He's not some some dude walking about. Um, and um, in a similar fashion to like horror movies, where uh, your main character sees something. And then when they look the other way, kind of appears. Um, when Jolene saw that baseball bounce, and when she looked the other way, the kid was there all of a sudden. Um, and so I was thinking, fuck it, what the hell? Um, there's a little bit of, um, a, you know, a touch of spooky um, that I felt was, um, is always the case with, uh, it's typically the case of a Jojo villain, right? And not not necessarily with a Jojo um, sort of, uh, you know, friend, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, or, or Joe Bro, as, as the Joe term Bro. is used. You can't really use Joe Bro for this series, can you? Joe Sis? Don't know. Don't know if that works. Uh, we then go to the next scene, and I agree with you fully, by the way. Absolutely there. Uh, so <laughs> we have an obligatory nude scene with a, a fairly heavily tattooed uh naked guy in the shower his his uh classic for iraqi i should say is his yeah. tattoos are he, he has a large globe on his back with four s's uh and an s two sides of the globe on the left and the right and he's got that on his back his left upper bicep and his right upper bicep uh he has long gray white hair and he looks a bit like sephiroth from final fantasy 7 and he's standing in the hot shower. I mean, and, you know, they really want you to look at this guy's ass here. Uh, you're thinking, who is this guy? Put your damn clothes on, pal. Uh, so he does. And as he goes to put his clothes on, money falls out, oddly enough. Uh, his top is odd. It kind of looks like uh, drips. I mean, as it is, the color looks a bit like, uh, gosh, what is it? It's a, it's a fruit. Not a fruit, it's like a, a, a chew it. It looks like a, a blackcurrant flavored chew it, but with drips. And he looks blind from my first observation. He has some black markings under his eyes. And the guard tells him that he has a meeting at 12.30. And it's clearly implied that it's going to be a hit. And this guy is a hitman. Uh, and he looks like a hitman. He sounds like a hitman. He probably is a hitman. Uh, and then the guard points out, just as the guy's leaving, that his jumper's on back to front. So blindness confirmed. Uh, so what, what are your first thoughts on this little scene here, FT? Um, interestingly enough, um, 
um, this straight away gave me a very Kira with the white hair vibe. Interesting. Um, but actually, as as the scene unfolds, you kind of realize he's nothing like Kira. Um, you know, he's just kind of weird. You know, um, the other thing is in the uh, the sort of colorized version of of the comics. Um, he has red hair, or, or maybe not redness, like, like metallic red, right? Where it's huh. not very red. Interesting. Um, and so the the white was kind of um, interesting to me, where I thought uh, it's kind of cool, but also kind of feels a bit different than what I expected him to look like. Hmm. Um, yes, uh, I have another tidbit to add, actually, but I'll add it when uh, when we introduce his name because um, it'd be quite interesting. I know what this tidbit might be. Uh, so then we go on to Jolene. Uh, she's getting handcuffed and given 30 minutes uh, by this horrible guard uh, who had, I, I forgot to add, just hits her again. I really hate this guy. He hit her on the knuckles with his truncheon, bats, whatever you want to call it. And yeah, he says that we go into the visitation room now. Uh, he starts walking her and telling her, running her through the rules that she can't do in the room, such as talk a different language, smuggle contraband, etc., kiss whoever it is. Uh, we then hear a voice from a bin right next to the entranceway, and an arm reaches out of the bin, fucking which is scary, bro. Fucking scary. Uh, the arm uh, reaches out to grab her, and it's the baseball boy telling Jolene to go back and it's not too late, which is probably the scariest line. Yeah, I mean, you know, that, talk about pressure. Uh, how did he get in the bin? What? Uh, the boy warns Jolene further and says that there are some things more fearsome than death and it's happening in this very prison. Now that statement in itself kind of lends itself to what you've said previously about people saying, oh, that happens here or whatever soundbite used, you know about the, 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 the prevalent soundbite people keep saying about the prison. Uh, and I also should add, before I ask your feedback about this little part, that I'm not, I'm not going to bring this child to any party because he's a fucking downer. Everything that happens is all deaf. Cool, blimey. Mate, the, 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 you know, I'm sure you're going to talk about this, but whatever he gives Jolene as well. Oh, I haven't what? got to that part yet. I know, man, but this kid, man, he's just weird. Like, He's a he's a creepy little shit. I mean, we get the impression, okay, he's supposed to be good, but dude, like, just just you know, dial down the creepiness a little bit, kid. Uh, then, okay, so yeah. Jolene says she needs to go see her mum because she assumes it's her mum. The boy says very well and gives her a piece of human spine. Gross. <laughs> Uh, to protect oh. her, apparently. I mean, that's what I want when I need protection. Just, yeah, give me a bit of a fucking spine, mate. That'll help me out. Uh, okay, then. Uh, the boy is gone. Uh, he vanishes into thin air as the guard comes to get Jolene. And who is waiting to see Jolene? Who could it be? Uh, any more thoughts about that little bit there? Um, like I said, man, that, bar, that bone was, you know, Fucking terrifying! <laughs> what? Why would you do that? Yeah, um, straight up, man. Yeah, but yeah, let's let's keep going. Okay, so then we we go into the next shot, and who is it? Who is here to see Jolene? It's Jotaro. Fuck yeah! 
uh, looking fly AF in his new outfit, this kind of purple long jacket with a star on, snakeskin trousers, purple hat. He just looks the shit. And uh, yeah, we get a commercial break here so we can kind of just all enjoy seeing Jotaro because we didn't know when we were going to see him and it was just such a relief. Uh, and we come back when the first thing he says here, business as always, he asks if she's received the charm. Uh, and then we we see some flashbacks of Jolene being a sassy young teenage tearaway, getting arrested for shit. Uh, and Jotaro seemingly doesn't really care, despite uh, Jolene's mother protesting that, hey, you know, your daughter's getting in trouble, et cetera, et cetera. He seemed erstwhile and just not really there, which is ironic given how much of an absent father Jotaro's dad, the uh, jazz musician we never got to ever see was as well. Interestingly enough as well, we also saw that, uh, <laughs> this made me laugh, at some point Jolene was hoping she might see her dad and then we get not a lookalike, but a dress-alike. We get a guy who, who's dressed yeah. exactly like Jotaro in the same fucking purple outfit with the snakeskin trousers. Because, of course, there's going to be two people with that outfit, right? I mean, where the hey, fuck man. are you going to see these people anywhere but a Comic-Con? I was just going to say, she was probably at a Comic-Con. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it was just hilarious because you see this guy and he had the biggest noob, dirt face, whatever you want to call it. And I've actually seen on social media that some people are calling him Qtaro, which is a wonderful, <laughs> a wonderful callback to a name that Jotaro signed off in uh, Stardust Crusaders. But seriously, man, the likelihood of two people wearing this outfit and <laughs> being around Jolene is so stupid. But I loved it. Uh, and then uh, Jotaro asks Jolene if she has the pendant. Jolene lashes out. She hits the guard, which I'm just happy she did because I hated that guy. Uh, and she wills the guard to let her out. He's not going to do it because he's just been knocked out. We get to hear Jotaro's first. Yari. <clears throat> Sorry. Yari, yari does it. I, I need to work on that. Uh, Jotaro talks about people who have conspired to have Jolene locked up. And we, we start finding out the processes as to why Jolene's been locked up. Turns out that the assassin called John Galley A uh, is the name of the, the blind hitman here to kill Jolene. Apparently an ex-military guy, a uh, supreme veteran sniper, and blind from having cataracts. Now I'm thinking, this is too blind kind of stand using snipers we've seen now. The first one was Yusu Endor in Stardust Crusaders. He used uh, water via, via sand to, to, to be his weapon. So Iraqi's got a real thing for blind snipers, it would seem. Oh, shit. Yeah, I completely forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, well, any, any thoughts on everything I've just said there? Yeah. So um, my initial thought was... Um, what who the fuck is John Gallier? Right. Uh, and so I went online and similar to um the warden, uh Loco Baracco, John Gallier is actually named after a designer. So is it Galliano? Uh, uh, oh shit. Let me let me find out his name again, actually. I I, I had it open up op, opened up here. Um 
I don't think it's Galliano. No, it was um, someone called. Oh yeah, it is Galliano. John John Charles Galliano. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I thought so. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, so again, named after a designer. Um, the, that's the, the first bit. The second bit is um, we keep getting these zoom-ins on a, on the ventilation system in, in the room. Yes, um, we do. And there's a lot of yeah. drips there. Yes, with, with no context. Um, there's, there's a meme about this that I will share when we talk about episode four. <laughs> um, but let me remind me to send it to you so that uh, we don't forget it. Sounds good. Look forward to that one. Uh, interesting tidbit here is, as you very accurately pointed out, Iraqi science use fashion designers as references because there have been uh, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure fashion events and, and lines of clothing as well. So uh, Iraqi, the more the show goes on, is kind of opening his horizons more to just being more of a pop culture mogul over just music. Uh, as as he grows in all yeah. of his uh, pleasing insanity. And uh, so going back to what Jatara is saying here, he and he's, he's spreading some serious intel. He, he mentioned that John Galley A, which is such an uncatchy name, uh, kidnapped a hitchhiker, killed him, threw him out in front of the car, uh, then hired a greedy lawyer, or a satyr, as I like to call him, and the whole court case was a setup. Uh, as as J- uh, Jatara is saying this, Jolene continues to kick the garden floor, which I also appreciated. That's what he gets. That's your receipt there. Uh, we see a second shot of the vent with the mysterious gooey moisture coming out of it. Has to mean something, right? Uh, uh-huh. And Jolene is asking for answers. Jatara states that Jolene is the target. Uh, he's all, she's always been the target, and this is because of him. Because she's a Joe Star and he's a Joe Star, and they shared a Joe Star bloodline. And we see a brief flashback of when Jotaro was fighting and killed Dio 20 years ago. Jotaro states that uh, he will break her out, he'll, he'll cross the channels to do it. And he asks if she has a stand yet, and that she should from the uh, stand arrow brooch. Uh, he also concludes that she does because he's a great detective. And we see yet more goo coming from the vent. Weird. Uh, there's huge poetic justice. However, I must I must add my observation here before I ask your thoughts in the fact that Jolene is being so horrible and kind of standoffish and rude to Jotaro and cold to him. What goes around comes around, right? Because this is exactly what Jotaro was like to Holly Joestar. All of, well, most of Stardust Crusaders, especially the beginning, and it's what Jotaro was directly like to uh, Joseph Joestar in prison when Joseph first went to, in jail, I should say, there is the difference, when Joseph first went to see Jotaro. So it's a fascinating full circle scenario here, where now Jotaro is the kind of well-beaten parent who now has his runabout teenager being rude to him. So you reap what you sow, Jotaro. Uh, and yes, your thoughts on that, please. Yeah, 100%, man. Um, I think you hit the, the, the nail on the head there. Um, you know, he, he got what he deserved. Um, I will say that, um, uh, you know, uh, the sort of um, being rude to family, Jotaro, 
still kind of cared for family, you know? Oh, no, like, of course I he did. I mean, I was the same way. So I don't, I don't yeah. judge him harshly for that at all. It, yeah. He, yeah. He always knew he cared. He wasn't an arsehole. It was just a, a sharp differentiation after seeing Jonathan and Joseph. Yes, absolutely. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with the upbringing, right? Because Joseph was, uh, was rich growing up. Um, you know, Josuke, or, uh, or just, sorry, Jutaro, not so much. Um, so, uh, interesting. Also, I just think having the absent uh, father really must oh, have yeah, played yeah, a part yeah. on his psyche. For sure, for sure. And uh, where sure. are we? So we've got uh, Jolene attempting to leave, and Jotaro says, uh, tells her not to. Uh, oh, sorry. First of all, Jolene says, never visit again. Uh, then as she reaches out to try and get help to leave and reach, uh, goes to hold the bar, she notices her uh, handcuffs are removed. That's odd. Her handcuffs are gone. Why are they gone? I wonder if we're going to get an answer to that one. At this point, we see more drips coming from the vent. What the fuck? Jotaro uh, mentally notes that the guard is wounded, but his brand of cigarettes is different to what he had before. And the fact that he didn't approach the table, yet there's a lit cigarette there. Something's up. Uh, he yells to Jolene to stay away from the bars. And just as this happened, Jolene gets shot. Uh, at which point, Jotaro calls that star platinum. Great to see him again. And then he says the world and uh, a, a different kind of variation of that as well to stop time. It was great seeing him stop time uh, to remove the bullets. But we noticed, uh, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because Jolene used stone free to preemptively stop the bullet in uh, a split second with her own Stan's hand, which is fantastic. So they they pull, uh, Jotaro pulls the bullet out and uh, they kind of, start scoping out the perimeter to find out where the bullet came from any thoughts on that part um yeah i mean we needed to see star platinum right you, you can't you can't tease us uh with your tarot without giving us the uh that world though oh, it needed uh, to happen yeah it needed to happen i didn't think it would happen that that early actually but i'm glad it did um yeah um, and uh yeah you know the, the the thing with Jolene as well when she stopped that bullet uh, after you know uh, Jotaro took the bullet away um, he told her you know we we got lucky so you know stay the fuck still don't move let's find out what the hell we're dealing with um, and and you can tell there in the in the next scenes that sort of in, unfold the gap in in uh, experience with dealing with stands between the two of them. I thought that was an interesting dynamic. Um, maybe not something worth noting, but I, I kind of enjoyed that, that little sort of conversation. I'd say it's worth noting. You know, it makes sense. Jolene is pretty inexperienced and I'd say already overachieving. An interesting thing about Jotaro is that even when he was young, he was like an adult child. Because even yes. in Stardust Crusaders, you'd have to remind yourself he's 17 because the guy just came across as my age basically the entire the the entire time and it's it's kind of interesting how and i've said this before but his kind of stoic business really focused nature 
lend itself so much more to being an adult and being the person in charge. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting to see the interplay between both of them and to see, I mean, you hear it a lot of the times where people say, oh, you're just so similar, but, but they are. They, they are really similar and, and you can mm. see it and it's very cool. Uh, at this point now, uh, moving on, uh, Jotaro points out that guns can be smuggled from outside because, you know, Jolene's figuring out how the hell would someone have a gun? How would this happen? Jotaro points out they can be smuggled in separate parts. And we see very helpful illustration of how different parts of a gun can be smuggled in different contraband. And all it takes is a crooked prison guard to turn a blind eye and take a bribe to get it in. But that doesn't explain exactly how John Gallier can shoot from a whole different part of a prison. How is that possible? How, how can that be explained? Uh, we then see that John Gallier's stand is a little weird flying mirror drone that kind of looks like, well, it just looks like a drone or a fan or something. And it seems to be quite advanced for how silly it looks, almost like a satellite as well, I should add. But it flies around and it seems to measure things like wind, noise, air pressure. It's very sensitive to, to the speed in the air and just very uh, aerodynamically uh, glip. And at this point, as we're hearing the information about John Gallier's stand, which is tiny, uh, we hear a classical remix of Dio's theme, which sticks to what I mentioned earlier when we heard uh, Jotaro's music in the piano sonata in the previous episode. In this, we hear a classical remix of Dio's theme music, which is ominous and welcome to hear as well. And why are we hearing it? Why? Well, you might wonder. I don't know yet. Uh, and yes, at this point, jo Jotaro and Jolene are trying to theorize exactly what John Gallier's stand can do and his aptitude. Uh, Jotaro states to Jolene not to make a move until the scenario is better understood, to which Jolene points out, don't tell me what to do, which I kind of understand. But, you know, she should have listened because he knows his ship. Uh, the guard at this point suddenly awakens, screams loudly, which is great when you're trying not to get the attention of a, of a drone, uh, approaches them with violent intent, and then the drone flies forward. At which point, Jotaro steps in to shield Jolene, gets shot in the arm in the process, and that same bullet that goes through Jotaro's arm shoots the guard in the head to be continued. Thoughts, please, FT. Um, thoughts is, um, honestly, the um, thing that really caught my eye was the, um, the, the stand, right? Um, we don't know its name yet. I think they mentioned it in the next episode. Yeah. Um, but essentially, it had like keys attached to the bottom. Of, it looked like a mini sort of drone. Mm. Um, and it kind of reminded me of, um, I'm trying to remember his name now. I think it was um, uh, Narancia, uh, his airplane. Narancia Goza with the airplane with uh, Aerosmith. Yes, yes. Uh, Golden Wind. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it kind of reminded me of that. Only it felt like a, a sort of a mini helicopter drone. They're just floating around with keys. Um, the thing that Jolene mentioned was maybe reacted to sort of uh, aerodynamics. Um, and I thought, okay, um, 
if the keys are any indication, then maybe it's how the keys move um, that lead to how this this thing um, sort of, you know, moves around. Um, it still didn't make any sense to me how he'd get that shot to this stand. Um, uh, and I guess we'll, we'll only find out, you know, to be continued, right? Uh, yeah. Q in, Q in uh, roundabout. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that was my observation. I just thought the stand kind of looked a bit weird as well. It wasn't sort of... Most stands look cool, you know, even the, the funky ones like uh, Gigi dolls. This one just looked kind of like a like a lost drone. Oh, yeah. I This is, off the top of my head, it's probably my least attractive stand I've ever seen. Yeah. Because it, it just doesn't at all look like a stand. It does just look like a little drone toy that, I don't know, I you might get for Christmas and think, no, well, this is all right, but is the, is the, is the, is the bigger present coming afterwards. That's, yeah. that's the vibe I get when I look at that. But it's deadly. And yeah, what's to come? Who knows? I'm happy the, the guard died. Oh, that guy was a piece of shit. Yeah. Serious piece of shit. Well, uh, FT, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Um, man, it's a pleasure doing this. I hope we can get the, the rest of the series down. Because um, it's honestly, um, Ocean, the Stone Ocean, it's been a, it's been a ride and a half. So yeah, it really has, man. Yeah, yeah. People should really get on that. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, anyone, if anyone ever listens to this, well, actually watch the show and then listen to it. You don't want spoilers. But yeah, uh, we we both can't stress enough how excellent this is. And it's just, uh, it's raising many questions. And yeah, well, all all I can really say is, um, please tune in for episode review number four, because I don't know when it's going to come, but it's going to come. So listen to it, all right, or else. And well, yeah, do you want to say goodbye, FT? Yeah, I mean, um, in classic DS uh, fashion, keep on trucking. You heard the man. Keep on trucking. Hello, this is Russell Crowe. Just leaving a quick voice message to say that legally the Wolf's Court are not allowed to actually use Roundabout by Yes to finish the podcasts. So unfortunately, you'll just have to deal with the excellent dulcet tones of brutality. Actually, that's a wonderful way to finish a podcast. Anyway, watch Gladiator. I was great in it. <laughs>